0: Andrew did the announcements, and he said, you know, you can see Pastor Adam about one thing, but he's not here, and then he said, see Dr. Ray about another thing, but he's not here. Anybody here today, if you're here, would you raise your hand? We're so glad that you guys are here. Uh, I'm noticing uh, uh, Lindsay Wilson and Campbellsville University students uh, filtering back in, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, They'll be back in force in another couple of weeks. Uh, But uh, you guys are welcome as you begin to filter back in. And we've got a few uh, Vineyard alumni because there was a wedding in this building uh, yesterday. Landon Dickens married uh, Kenzie Rice. And uh, so those of you that attended the wedding and stayed here, we're so glad that you guys are here. And uh, we had to reconfigure so that Kenzie had a center aisle. So if the seats that were previously in the center aisle were your favorite seats, the seats you always sit in in church... And you walked in today and they're gone, well, just get over it, you know. You can move around. I'd, you know, I'd love to come in. I'd love to come in one time and find that the people that usually sit over here are sitting over here. And You know how it is, right? You have your unofficial seats that have to be yours. And then some poor guest walks in and they sit down and they don't know they've taken your seat, right? So maybe we'll just do a, a week where we take all the seats out completely. Would that be fun? Okay, no, we're not going to take all the seats out completely. <laughs> We're already getting negative feedback on that. All right. All right, you got your coffee, you got your donuts, you got your water. All right. Well, we've, uh, we've worshiped the Lord uh, through praise and worship. How many of you know that it's okay uh, to praise God emotionally, that he makes us, you know, a, a complete person, body, soul, and spirit? We have an intellect, we have emotions, we have a body. So, you know, how many of you know it's okay to get excited about uh, who God is? How many of you know it's okay to move your body to the beat of the music in worship of God? Not quite as many people know that as worshiping God emotionally. Uh, but we can praise him with dance and with movement. It's, it's perfectly all right. Uh, and uh, then we also want to uh, love the Lord with our minds. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we're going to turn our attention to the uh, scriptures. If you brought a Bible today... And I hope you did. Uh, We're going to be looking in uh, two different sections. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of John. And then a little bit later on, we're going to slip over to uh, Romans. And um, let's just take a moment and uh, ask uh, for God's help. Believe me, you want to ask for God's help for me uh, so that, you know, it's hopefully life-giving and uh, keeps you awake. Jesus, we love you, and we want to love you heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love you with our physical being, with our emotions, and we want to love you with our intellect as well. And Lord, we ask that you would save us from just the impartation of information and instead that spirit would call the spirit as we look at your word. Thanks for your word. Thanks that it is breathed out by your Holy Spirit. And we ask now that you would breathe into my speech and into our hearing so that your word would be made alive to us. In your name we pray, amen. Um, well, uh, we're not doing a series right now. We're not in the middle of anything. I just This is like a one-week shot. And, uh, and I want to talk uh, uh, about uh, new birth, but perhaps not in a way uh, that you may have come to expect. If, if We're in the southeast, and I'm a, I'm a Yankee. Uh, so for me, it was a real cultural change to move from the area, you know, in Chicago down to the southeast. But if you grew up in the southeast, uh, you probably grew up in a church setting where it might not have been uncommon every single week when you went to church to hear, you must be born again, you must be born again. Whatever your problem is, the solution is, you must be born again. And, uh, and in my role, uh, sometimes as an adjunct instructor over at Campbellsville University, I'm amazed sometimes to find 18-year-olds who have been in church all of their life, and their sum total, their grasp of the scripture is pretty much, you must be born again, and oh yeah, by the way, do your best to keep the Ten Commandments if you can. So uh, in talking about the new birth, I'd I'd like to try to maybe open up our understanding as to what that means as followers of Jesus. And uh, John's Gospel, in the first three chapters, there's four different passages that I want to look at uh, uh, together, Uh, and make some comments about. The first passage is in uh, John chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 11 through 13. Verses 11 through 13. Uh, And uh, these passages read uh, something like this. Uh, He, and that's referring to Jesus, uh, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, like little Ezra, or not of a human decision or of a husband 's will, but born of god and so this is uh, this is really the the first mention of birth and new birth in john 's gospel. These first eighteen verses of john 's gospel are a magnificent prologue. If you want to understand john 's gospel, read the first eighteen verses like twenty times in a row, every theme that you'll find in the next twenty one Uh, chapters of John you will find uh, uh, introduced in these first 18 verses and this is where John introduces the theme of uh, being born uh, of God a little bit further down in the very same chapter uh, Jesus uh, is introduced to a guy named Nathaniel Uh, somebody went and got Nathaniel and said we think we found the Messiah and he says "Uh, really and they go yeah he said Jesus of Nazareth and Nathaniel goes, well, you know, can any good thing come out of Campbellsville? And, uh, you know, they said, well, come and check it out. And um, uh, so Nathaniel has been introduced um, to John. Wait, uh, that's, that's in verse 43. We're going to be in verse 32 first. This is the baptism of Jesus. My bad. Baptism of Jesus first uh, in verse 32 through uh, 34. And uh, John the Baptist is the guy that dunks Jesus. And this is what he says, John the Baptist as as he is uh, finishing up the baptism of Jesus, verse 32. Then John gave this testimony: I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I wouldn't have known him except that the one who sent me with to baptize with water said, "The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit." And I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And the the relationship here. Is the difference between seen in the natural and seen in the spiritual? Uh, biblical scholars uh, think that John the Baptist was either Jesus' second cousin or third cousin because Mary had a relationship with Elizabeth. You can read about that in Luke's gospel. And uh, John still says, even though I saw him with my eyes, I didn't know him. But the one who sent me, John the Baptist, to do my work said, the one whom you see the Spirit come down upon and remain, that's the guy who's going to baptize others with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist, even though he had perhaps some natural relationship with Jesus, in the natural didn't know who Jesus was or what Jesus was about until he saw the activity of the Holy Spirit coming down out of heaven onto Jesus. Other uh, stories about the baptism of Jesus says uh, amazing things in, in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel. It says that the heavens literally were torn open the way that you would like open a curtain. The heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit comes down and descends on Jesus. And it wasn't just some esoteric thing. Everybody saw and heard something they may not have known what they saw, they may have not, not have known what they heard, but there was a phenomenon, there was an experience of, of the heavens being opened and the Spirit coming down on Jesus. Now uh, now to the Nathanael uh, passage uh, as well, and this is at the end of John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, and uh, as we said, Nathanael, you know, he doesn't think, well, any good thing can come out of Nazareth, um, but uh, Jesus kind of reads his mail, and uh, we'll see it. Uh, verse 43, and on through to the uh, end of the chapter, it says, uh, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said, Come and follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, uh, the one in whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good thing come from there? Nathaniel asked. Well come and see said philip and when jesus saw nathaniel approaching he said of him hey here is a true israelite in whom there is nothing false how do you know me nathaniel asked and jesus answered i saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before philip called you and nathaniel declared rabbi you're the son of god you're the king of israel and notice how surprised jesus is verse 50 jesus said You believe, just because I told you I saw you under a fig tree, you shall see greater things than that. And then he added, I tell you the truth, you'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And the connection here from these these first verses is first we're introduced to the concept of a new birth that comes by the will of God. And then the second connection is that we see the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon Jesus. But it's not just that the Spirit descends upon Jesus. When Jesus encounters Nathanael, who is rightly impressed by just a simple gift of the Holy Spirit, a word of knowledge where Jesus says, hey, you were sitting under a fig tree before you know, Philip came to get you. And you know, and Nathanael you know, just lays it out and says, you're the Son of God. Jesus says, you will see things greater than what you've just seen because it was a very simple gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll see even greater things. In fact, you, you Nathaniel, are going to see the heavens open and you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the son, uh, the son of Man. And so these themes are introduced to us in the beginning of John's Gospel. The new birth, the heavens being opened, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You got that? The new birth the heavens being opened, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now let's turn to John chapter 3. It's the last passage we're going to look at here. And this is uh, uh, John has has begun his gospel. Uh, He's introduced the major themes. He's introduced the disciples who are going to follow Jesus. And apparently Jesus makes quite a splash early in his ministry, so much so that uh, a wealthy man who is connected in the religious world Uh, really wants a private audience with Jesus and uh, his name is Nicodemus and this is a very very famous passage Uh, if you're church broken at all if you've uh, if you've hung around the evangelical community uh, these are really famous words now that's actually a disadvantage if you're familiar with them because as we read them you go yeah I've been there done that bought the t-shirt If you're not familiar with them, you're at an advantage because you'll hear them fresh for the first time. John chapter 3, the first eight verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus and a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God because no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And what a curious reply Jesus makes. This guy's just giving him a compliment. He says, "You're, you're, you're a great teacher and you're doing miraculous signs. In reply, verse three, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, if you're reading along with the Bible that's on your lap, you may notice that there's like a little footnote down at the bottom. And this phrase, born again, uh, anybody got the new international version? It's the most common Bible used in the Southeast. What is, what in your Bible, what's the alternate reading for the phrase born again? I'm sorry, can't hear you? Born from above. Born from above. The literal translation, and most Bible translations actually have the literal words down in the margin, down at the bottom. Jesus' reply in verse 3 is actually this. In reply, Jesus declared... I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Born from above. Let's keep that in mind as we go on. Verse 4, well, how can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asks. Surely he cannot enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And so Nicodemus understands what Jesus has said in the natural and in terms of a second birth. So Jesus says, "Look, unless you're born from above, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God." And Nicodemus says, "Well, how could anybody be born a second time?" Verse five. Jesus answered, "I tell you the truth. R- read my lips. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water of the Spirit. Water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to, birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying." You must be born from above. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, and you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born uh, of the Spirit. These famous verses is where evangelicalism gets its notion of being born again. And born again is a perfectly good translation, uh, but you know, it's actually kind of the Nicodemus translation. Jesus talks about the initiative being with God coming from above and interrupting our lives. And Nicodemus understands it merely as a second birth. And uh, uh, about the late 1940s and early 1950s, when Dr. Billy Graham began to popularize the gospel. He preached at Madison Square Garden. Crowds, you know, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, have heard Dr. Graham say, you must be born again. And that's one plausible translation. But the more accurate, the more literal translation is, you must be born from above. Now let's put all four verses that we've looked at together. In John's prologue, it says that as many as believed on him or trusted in him, they, they become children of God, not by any human decision, but by the will of God. And you notice that in the first passage we looked at, the initiative is with God, interrupting our life. Uh, the second passage is in Jesus' baptism, where what happens? Something or someone comes down from above and, and uh, infiltrates the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The heavens are torn open. The Holy Spirit descends and the witnesses to Jesus' baptism see the action coming from above into the earth. And then Nathaniel, who is so impressed by the presence of the miraculous and it's, and it's really just a, a garden variety spiritual gift where Jesus says, well, hey, I saw you in a vision before I ever met you. There are people in this congregation today who get pictures and see things before they happen. And, it, and, it, and it's one of the spiritual gifts that's offered to any uh, member of the body of Christ. And Nathanael is so impressed by it, but Jesus' answer is so instructive. He says, you'll see bigger things than this. You will see the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Perception of how the spiritual world of how heaven begins to interact with earth And then finally, in John chapter 3, is where this theme is filled out the most. And and Nicodemus says, wow, Jesus, you are something. You know, you're a great teacher. You do miraculous signs. And Jesus pushes all that away and says, the only thing that's important is when the heavens are opened and you are born from the initiative from above. And Nicodemus goes, say what? And Jesus says it again. There's there's a natural apprehension of what's going on. Jesus says that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus says you shouldn't scratch your head when I tell you that you must be born from above. And Jesus says in chapter 3, what we've just read, you can't even see, you can't even recognize God's kingdom unless you've been born from above. All right, so let's take a look at all of this. John's gospel describes an activity and that activity is where God takes an initiative and God is causing the stuff of heaven to break into the earth. Can you, can you see that pattern in the, in the, the passages that we've, we've looked at? He's causing the stuff of heaven to break into the earth and we don't cause any of it to happen, but by trusting in what God is doing, we're enabled to see what God is doing when John in his prologue says, as many as believed on him, these are the people he gives the authority to become children of God. It's by seeing what God is doing and believing the work of God that you get the right to become a child of God. It's by seeing what God is doing and seeing the initiative and being born from heaven that you even get to see the kingdom of God. Now, let me just define this term, the kingdom of God. Jesus says, Unless you're born from above, you can't even see it. Many people translate kingdom of God immediately to mean, well, that's just we go to heaven when we die. But that's not the way Jesus meant it. How many of you know the Lord's prayer? What does he tell us to pray there? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as in heaven, right? If you've hung out at the vineyard for any length of time, you know that this is the central part of our theology, And that is that God's kingdom is where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says, unless you're born from above, you can't even recognize the kingdom work that's going on. But by trusting him, we can see the kingdom and recognize it for what it is. And here we are in chapter 3, and Jesus is describing a change in our vision and a change in our trust in God that is so radical that the only metaphor you can use is a new birth. This is the kind of new birth that I want to talk about. The kind of new birth that gives you new eyes to see what God is doing. The kind of new birth that depends on God's initiative. It starts in heaven and it works its way to us. You see, when I met the Lord, I was a teenager and I thought I was making a decision for God. And many of us still apprehend our faith this way. It's that I've I've heard the gospel explained. It's a really good deal. The sinless Son of God has shed his blood for me, and now his righteousness will stand in place of my unrighteousness. And so when God looks at me, God sees the perfect Son of God. It means I get to go to heaven when I die. It's a really good deal, and we think, I'll take that deal. But when we think, I'll take that deal, the initiative comes from us. We're saying, Yeah. God, I'll I'll take that. Thank you very much. What John's gospel shows is that heaven was opened. Heaven began to invade earth. God is the one who came looking for us. God is the one who even enables us to see what's going on. What what John's gospel described is that it first starts with God's initiative. Later on in his life, John, who writes this gospel, uh, when he's writing the letters Uh, to the churches that uh, that he pastors he says we love why because God first loved us even our ability to respond to the gospel comes from the fact that the heavens are being torn open the Holy Spirit is making his way to us this is so important and I and my family teases me all the time because I believe that you should repeat things I think you should say them over and over I think you should be redundant and repetitive But we have to get into our mind that Jesus started his ministry with the heavens being torn open and heaven was breaking into earth. We have to get into our minds that to be a child of God is not a matter exclusively of our own decision, but it is God's initiative to reach to us. You with me? Have I beat the dead horse? Enough. All right. Now, this difference in thinking from, oh, I think I'll be born again because it's a good deal, or I am born from above because God's love has reached to me when I was his enemy is, is a crucial difference if we decide that we want to go on as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus. You can juxtapose being born again with being born from above. You see, born again highlights our decision, but born from above, uh, born from above emphasizes God's action. Born again highlights our willpower, but born from above emphasizes the power of God. And in practice, born again thinking focuses exclusively on going to heaven when we die, and born from above emphasizes thinking about heaven coming to earth. And there's such, such a big difference. How many of you know Christians, people you know, you know, you know, who say they're followers of Jesus, and they say, well, I like to drive Ford's, Uh, I'm a Democrat. I like country and western music, and oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It's as though their Christianity is one more lifestyle choice. You can say, you know, I, um, you know, I, I I don't know. I like, you know, I like. If you're a woman, I like to dress in pink. I like high heels. uh, You know, I, you know, I go to Tupperware parties, and oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And it's being a Christian is just one more life accessory. And how many of you know that when Christianity is only a life accessory that Christians really don't act any differently than the rest of the world out there. You know, And I, when, I, when I go to, into a business transaction and somebody extends their hand and they say, well, brother, I'm a Christian too, I count my fingers after I shake their hand. Because someone claiming to be a Christian in a business transaction in our day and age, sadly, is no guarantee of any real better treatment. Isn't that right? I mean, I say that with some sadness. Or, um, you know, the the divorce rate among Christians is no different than the divorce rate among non-Christians. If our experience with Jesus is one more choice that we have made, then it's just an accessory. If our experience as Christians is that God is breaking into our world, changing the way that we see, and empowering the powers of the age to come to operate in our lives now, we have a chance of truly being a different people. So, here's my quiz question today. In the scriptures, who is the first example of someone who is born from above? I'd like to suggest that it's Jesus. That Jesus is the first one who is born from above. If we've got this picture of the heavens opening and the way things are in heaven, breaking into the earth, well, Jesus pre-existent, second person of the Godhead, never created, always existing, Jesus left the most exclusive gated community in all the world and came to a less advantaged neighborhood. In other words, he left heaven and he came to earth. Heaven broke into earth in the person of Jesus Christ. The first person that was born from above was Jesus of Nazareth. He is the firstborn of heaven, and this is where I want to—I really want to land—is this idea that Jesus is the firstborn from heaven to earth. Jesus is the firstborn. Um, if, if you've read the Bible a little bit, you might recognize that the words "firstborn" have special meaning in the Jewish community. Uh, in the Jewish way of thinking, the firstborn was holy unto God. The firstborn was. What you sacrificed back to God and said, uh, how many of you parents with your firstborn child, you've dedicated that child to the Lord, maybe even in a special way that a second or a thirdborn wouldn't be? The firstborn is holy unto the Lord. Um, Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the firstborn five different times. Five different times. It's referred to in nat- He is referred to as the firstborn in natural childbirth, uh, Mary's firstborn child. How many of you know Mary went on to have four more boys and two more girls after she gave birth to Jesus, right? They're listed for us in Mark's gospel. So Jesus was the firstborn from uh, from Mary. He's the firstborn among all of the community of faith. He's the firstborn over creation, and he's also twice described, once in the book of Revelation, as the firstborn of the dead. Jesus is the firstborn, and the firstborn is special, But also representative. A biblical view of the firstborn says that the firstborn is dedicated to God, they're holy unto the Lord. The firstborn has a place of privilege, of extra responsibility. How many of you are the oldest child in your family? Do you feel like your parents were harder on you than they were on your younger siblings? It's like I didn't get to do that until I was so many years old, and now my little brother or little sister, they get to do something earlier than I do. Or you realize my parents were way stricter with me. Now I'm, I'm the youngest in my family, so I got away with murder. But if you're the firstborn, you realize dad and mom really brought the hammer down on me. It was a place of privilege because you were the groundbreaker, but it was also a place of greater responsibility. And it was also, in the Jewish way of thinking, Primo. It was first place. Nobody else could ever be like the firstborn. Do you know the story of of Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis? Where Jacob cheats his older brother out of the blessing of the firstborn? Why was it that Jacob wanted to cheat Esau out of that blessing? It was because that blessing was important. Being the firstborn in biblical terms meant something. And then in terms just simply of nature, The firstborn is the one who opens the womb. You know, any young woman who's married, you know, at at, at first being married wonders, you know, will I conceive? Will I bear a child? The the one who opens the womb, the firstborn is special because it's the promise that everything is, is going the way God intended. The one who opens the womb is the one who promises that many more will follow in the natural. And in fact, in Jesus Christ, if I can say this, in Jesus Christ, the womb of heaven was opened so that many more could follow. Jesus was born out of heaven into the earth, and he's the firstborn, it says in Romans eight twenty nine, He's the firstborn of many brethren. So let's look at this, this one last passage. It's in Romans chapter, chapter 8, verse 29. And you're wondering, what in the world does all this have to do with the way I live? I promise I'll get there. We've been doing heavy sledding here. But Jesus is the firstborn. He is not only the firstborn of Mary, he's the firstborn of many brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We're just going to kind of rip this one out of context just a little bit. Um, And this is what it says. It says, for those people that God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed. To the likeness of his son. Those whom God foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, brothers, and sisters. And I want to talk about this Jesus as the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn so that the womb of heaven could be opened so that God can have many more children. This passage says, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It was, it was kind of a sexist culture. Don't, don't be put off by that. It, it could be translated in our day that he's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And you're wondering, oh man, there's so much gobbledygook in that verse. It says, those whom God foreknew, he predestined. Look, I'm not smart enough to talk about predestination or anything like that. I know this, that next week I'm going on vacation and our destination is already decided we're going to Perdido Key, Florida. When we, yeah, it's nice, huh? When we program it into the TomTom or into the Garmin, before we ever start out on the journey, our destination has been set. For me, that's how I understand predestination. And that is that when I come to know Jesus, God already has a determined destination for me. And according to this verse, do you know what that determined destination is? They were predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has already set the garment. He's already set the tom-tom. He's already keyed it in. And do you know what your destination is? It's to become conformed to the image of Jesus. You're wondering, what will my life look like? Where will life take me? You might be a student just getting out of school. You might just be getting married. You might be going into retirement. Everybody still wonders what's ahead. I can tell you what's ahead for followers of Jesus. God has determined your destination, and that's to become conformed to the image of Jesus. The difference between born-again thinking, which is I'll go to heaven when I die, is I think all of that happens some date in the future when I go to heaven. And if you think in terms of being born from above, it means that heaven is pouring its resources into you right now so that you can become conformed to the image of Jesus. Let me ask, when do we start becoming conformed to the image of Jesus? The answer is now. Literally, the Father will move heaven and earth to provide for you whatever you need so that you can be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, if Christianity is just a lifestyle choice, if it's another fashion accessory, maybe I don't want to look like Jesus. After all, Jesus ministered to the poor. He was relentlessly honest. He rocked the boat with the religious bigwigs. He went wherever the Father told him to go. Oh yeah, by the way, they ended up beating him and crucifying him. No thanks, I'll just take heaven when I die. But if your, if your heart is to become like Jesus, God the Father has opened up the resources of heaven right now for me and for you to become conformed to the image of Christ. Now I say that because sometimes Christians I talk to are not interested in being like Jesus. They're only interested in the benefits of knowing Jesus. Anybody ever met someone like that? I've got my fire insurance? I know that you know that the future is set, we'll let God determine all of that, but for them, their Christianity isn't about becoming like Jesus, it's about just making sure that you know, I don't go to the other place, the place of which we do not speak. And why is it in the 21st century evangelicals don't speak about hell? Oh, there I said it. You know... It's a terrible place. No one would ever want to go there. It's a good thing to want to go to heaven. But the action of God was that he tore heaven open so that we could become like Jesus now. And I'm not like Jesus yet, but I think I can honestly tell you I'm more like Jesus than when I first met him in 1970. I am a little bit more like Jesus than I was 39 years ago. Hopefully, Measurably more like Jesus. And a question that each of us should ask ourselves is whether you follow Jesus for 39 days or for 39 years is am I more like Jesus? Because the resources of heaven are available to us to become like Jesus. Apparently, God wants, wants more kids than just one. Apparently, God wants many And Jesus is the firstborn. He's the one who opens the way. He's the one who causes the resources of heaven to be able to be poured into the earth, okay? So he's the first to come from heaven to earth and there will be more. And who are the more? Us. In other words, let's see if this won't stretch us a little. We're heaven's representatives on earth now. In theory, meeting a Christian should be like experiencing a little bit of heaven on earth. Meeting a Christian should be like getting a little bit of the cool breeze from the oasis that is paradise. Meeting a Christian should be a little bit like picking up the fragrance that we would have had when we were around Jesus. Meeting a Christian should be like seeing the family resemblance of the older brother and of the father, because that's what Jesus wants. You see, if our born-again experience is only about going to heaven, then how does heaven come to earth? If our born-again experience is only focused on going to heaven, then all of the motion is from earth going up. But if we see ourselves as being born from above, then the motion is heaven breaking into the here and the now. You see, if our theology says I'm born from above, it allows us to focus on the kingdom of God here and now. Our destiny, the destination that's keyed in to our spiritual DNA is to be conformed to his image. And the only question that we ask is when, now or later. And the answer should be all of our lives. And and there's actually a spiritual word for this. It's called discipleship. The process of becoming conformed to the image of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. And he gives the secrets of the kingdom To his disciples. You can look it up later. Matthew chapter 13. It's this amazing chapter where Jesus tells one story after another. They're called parables. One story after another about the kingdom of God. And you know what Jesus says in that chapter? It says, you know, I'll tell those stories to anybody who wants to hear. But only to the disciples are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven given. It's possible to not even see the kingdom of heaven when it's right in front of you. But to those who are born from above. They'll engage in discipleship. And this is important to me too. Conform to the image of Christ. Well, what does that look like? You know, I I don't look Jewish. I don't have, you know, thick, dark, curly hair. I, I, I wouldn't be mistaken for Jesus physically in any sort of way. How is it? How is it that I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus? It's going to be through character, through ministry, and power. What are the three ways that you can take to the bank that you can be conformed to the image of Christ? It can be through your character, through your ministry, and through the powers of the age to come flowing through you. All three are important, and none of them, not one of them, can be separated from the other. How many of you think, well, you know, I'm only human and, you know, if I, if I lose my temper a little bit too quickly or, you know, if I tell a convenient lie just, you know, to get out of trouble, you know, if I, if I shave a little bit here at work or there, you know, to try to get by, well, I'm only human. How many of you know that the character of Jesus can be built into our lives as the resources of the Holy Spirit work through our lives? You know, that, that little voice in the back of our head there's, there is such a good thing, there's such a thing as good conviction from the Holy Spirit, where at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit begins to speak and say, You know, the, 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 the corner you took on that business deal, that, that doesn't bring honor to God. And Jesus said, There's nothing that hasn't been said in secret that won't eventually be said in the light. How many of you know that when our shenanigans come to light, it could be the grace of God operating so that we develop the character of Christ? Here's here's a little question. How many of you think that Jesus is a good role model? How many of you think Jesus is a worthy role model? How many of you think that you can live up to his example? Not quite as many hands get raised. And somebody went, oh. But you see, why would God give us this role model, Jesus of Nazareth, if it's impossible to live up to him? Now let me settle it once and for all. I told a lie once in third grade, therefore I'll never be as good as Jesus because I've already got that one strike against me. I've been perfect ever since. (laughs) You see, the issue is not perfection. The issue is do I look more like Jesus now than I did in third grade or fifth grade or eighth grade or, you know, whenever. I can become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in terms of my character by allowing heaven to speak to me. And how does that happen? Well, you know, maybe we can look at that some other time, but I'd just like to suggest one. When you lay on your bed at night, before you fall asleep, just ask the Lord what's his opinion of the day. He will come to you and he'll congratulate you for the things that have caused his heart to be happy and he will gently and lovingly and without upbraiding you at all suggest ways in which your character could be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' brother James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach. Just one thing, at the end of each day, ask God his opinion of your day and you know what? There won't. It's not a guilt-inducing time. It's a time in which the heavenly father will give you wisdom generously and without reproaching you. We can become conformed to the image of Christ in character because he is the firstborn among many brethren. The good news of the gospel in part is this. The good news is we can be more like Jesus than we ever imagined. We can be more like Jesus than many of us have ever been told. That's good news. We can be more like Jesus in character. We can be more like Jesus in ministry. How many of you know that Jesus said... I'm about my Father's work. I'm going to do what the Father has given me to do. We can be more like Jesus in ministry, and that doesn't mean that we all have to put on first century clothing and sandals and walk around and be an itinerant minister. Last week when we prayed blessings over every educator or education administrator in our congregation, the interview that we did then was about someone who has given her life as an educator and she brings the ministry of the kingdom of God to her work as an educator. The truth is, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can bring the ministry of Jesus Christ to your work. You can bring it. uh, uh, In our pre-prayer, there was someone who said, let's see, I work with one New Age crazy from California. I work with somebody that's a Hindu and, you know, they, they went over this list of like four or five different people that, you know, that are in her place of employment. And she said, but I know that I'm beginning to have some sort of an impact because this past week, you remember the floods that hit Louisville? They were watching them on television and, uh, and they looked out the window here in Campbellsville and, you know, there was blue sky and sunshine. And someone says, well, you know, as so-and-so says, you know, I guess we're experiencing the favor of God. And she said, yes, I'm getting through. God's not angry, he loves us, he wants to favor us. And in her work, she was beginning to minister to people. We can be like Jesus in ministry. If you're unemployed, you can be like Jesus in the ministry of looking for a job. You might go in for a job interview and what God may give you to do is to bless the person interviewing you. They may not have a job to give or you may not be right for the job, but you might be able to pray with that person or speak a word of encouragement. You might be a student, and you might be able to lead your teacher to the Lord. Is that possible? I guarantee you it's possible. I know people that that's happened. You might be a business owner, and you have employees, and you may be able to minister to your employees. Well, one way to minister is to have a stable business that gives them a regular paycheck, and they know they're going to be employed six months from now. How many of you know that's a pretty good ministry? My company isn't going to close. That's ministry. You see, we can become conformed to the image of Jesus, not only in our personal character, but in the job that God gives us to do. I know of one guy, and he doesn't even go into a grocery store without stopping for a minute and praying and saying, Lord, is there anything you have for me to do in that grocery store? And I believe sometimes the Lord tells him, no, just go and pick up whatever you need. And other times, the Lord would say something like, yeah, in there you're going to meet a guy that uh, was uh, uh, maimed because they were in the military and I want you to go up and speak to him and I want you to pray with him. Do you know we can do the ministry of God even in a grocery store? If we're looking for the resources of heaven to break into the here and now. If we're only looking to go to heaven when we die, then the grocery store is just a grocery store. We can be conformed to his image in character. We can be conformed to his image in ministry. And we can be conformed to his image in the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about this? How did Jesus do the stuff he did? How did he do it? He changed water into wine, which is a pretty cool trick. He fed 5,000, he fed 4,000, and he did it, you know, on a schoolboy's lunch. How did he do that? If your natural answer is, Jesus did those things because he was Jesus, then we've lost sight of Jesus as the firstborn. Jesus did those things because he was modeling for us what it meant to obey the Father. In fact, um, uh, Jesus didn't do anything by the virtue of only being the Father's Son. Well, that might be overstating it. His sinless, perfect sacrifice on the cross that purchases the pardon for our sin, only he could do that. But everything else he did in terms of power in ministry, he was modeling for us what is possible. So when he tells Nathanael in the passage we read earlier, well, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael's heart is split open and he says, Rabbi, you're the king of Israel, you're the son of God. Jesus said, listen, you're going to be able to see people. You're going to be able to know the secrets of their heart. You're going to be able to speak to them and you're going to be an emissary of heaven. How many of you know that heaven has a clearer view of what's going on on earth than earth has a view of what's going on on earth? Do you want to see your times out of heaven or out of earth? Unemployment, 9.4%. PASA, uh, what do they call it, that uh, TARP, the Recovery Act, you know, the money going to the banks, the Stimulus Act. How many of you would like to know what the economy is going to be like 12 months from now? How many of you know that no one on earth has a clue but that heaven knows exactly what life will be like in another year? How many of you know that heaven wants to position you to be God's emissary this week, next week, and 52 weeks from now that's that's what partnering with Jesus for power and ministry is all about and it blows my circuits I'm not there yet but every single thing that Jesus did with the exception of his sinless perfect substitutionary death on the cross everything that Jesus did is a model for what's possible if we will follow the Lord And you go, no, no, you don't understand. I'm just a businessman. I'm just a homemaker. All I do is uh, mow yards for a living. Not me. And I'm saying, yes, you. How many of you would like to know that, how many of you would like the Holy Spirit to speak to you? In just a minute, the phone's going to ring, and somebody's going to call about one thing, but they're thinking about suicide. And so you pick up the phone, and you say, you know, Hello, welcome to Lawn Mower R Us. And they say, "How how much to mow the yard? And you go, $30. But before we talk about mowing the yard, let me just ask you, are you going through a hard time in your life and are you thinking about suicide? How many of you know that's possible? That the Holy Spirit knows what's going to happen, knows the hearts of the people that we will talk to. We can become conform to his image in character in ministry and in the power of god because jesus is the firstborn among many brethren the womb of heaven has been opened the resources of heaven are being poured into anyone who is born from above if we look at it as simply going to heaven i'm born again so i get a get out of jail free card I guess legally all those things are ours, but practically we can't lay hold of them. If we see that the heavens have been torn open and that heaven is pouring into earth, all of those resources are for us as we learn to use them. That's the last point I want to make. And that is that the resources of heaven are at our disposal as we learn how to cooperate with the initiative of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The resources of heaven are at our disposal as we learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I have three children. All of my children are welcome to everything I have. But I have a six-year-old, and I will not throw her the keys to the family car at age six because it's not good for her. But I will throw the keys to the family car to my 22-year-old or my 20-year-old because they've learned how to cooperate with the family values. Does that make sense? You see, all of the resources of heaven are open to us, but we have to grow in maturity so that God will trust us with those resources. All of the resources. sky's the limit. No, wait. That's wrong. Beyond the sky is the limit for a follower of Jesus Christ as we learn how to cooperate. You know, Somebody that sits out in their car before they go into the grocery store, they don't get that level of revelation the first time. They get that level of revelation by being willing to hear from God, to being able to risk their reputation and to take a chance with God. And so I want to ask this question. We're we're done.